All right, welcome to Seishura, the Music Explorers podcast. As always, I'm Scoot Magoo. I'm Elaine. And this is one of my favorite things that happens on the podcast is we're just kind of um, talking about whatever was on the plate. You know, last week we did our, our review roundup. We like to do some album anniversaries, some new releases. And just for whatever reason, a, a thought um, came to me as we were talking about uh, Closer, the, you know, final Joy Division full length, uh, you know, musical what ifs, you know, the specific what if being, you know, what if Ian Curtis had lived on, you know, you could think about, you know, where Joy Division were at the end of, you know, well, what ended up being the final years of their career, and then obviously what New Age went, uh, uh, new, excuse me, New, new Order, Order went on to, <laughs> well, I guess that they did, they did help with New Age, so it kind of works, but, and then, you did know, they? obviously, uh, I guess in a way, like, New Romantic or Synth Pop, that, you know all those all those kind of synthy styles uh, that um, came out around that time, and, and obviously at the end of Joy Division's career, you know, Level Terrace Apart. You know, I think I think people give a little bit as we discussed, people give a little bit more credence to them being you know a synth laden band towards the end of their career. But yeah. it's interesting. It's interesting to think about. You know, where would they have gone in their career if Ian Curtis had survived? And that is going to be our topic for today. We each have four musical what ifs. Um, and I, I think what was really cool about this, just to kind of get a little meta before we, we dive in, um, I just, I just kind of sat down and thought, I just kind of sat, sat down, put on my thinking cap, if you will, and just thought about, um, you know, specifically what, what scenarios would fit the bill, but also I tried to break out of, cause I think in this scenario, it would have been very easy to fall in, you know, what if they lived? Or like what you know what I mean because yeah. I think there's a lot of musical what ifs you know for example one of the most famous ones is the day the music died and I always forget what what group of musicians passed away it was in that three it was crash. the Big Bopper Richie Valens and Buddy Holly yeah so you know obviously that that's a really famous you know what would happen if they survived I tried to well no American Pie but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah I, I, I tried to with mine kind of go um just to be like have each be a, a slightly different scenario but ultimately you know kind of the big larger ripple effects from there so i was kind of curious yeah. Lane, how did you how did you approach this topic um i approached this topic by like so last week after we recorded and we talked about this i basically just wrote down a couple of ideas and um, to be honest, didn't really look at it until yesterday again. Hey, there you go. <laughs> uh, though, though, to be to be fair, like a, a couple of them would just keep going over and over again in my mind. There's one in particular that I'm very excited to talk about. Mm. Uh, there, there are actually a couple that I'm um, excited, but there's one in particular that I really sort of want to parse out a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I I, I think be, before we dive into this, I, I feel like it's worth just pointing out that these are just theoretical situations i i I guess is like what i mean is that um like i i I think it's kind of a reductive argument some people make that's like oh you know if if this you know if if cliff burton was still in metallica like they would have been been like so much better or you know what you know like Mm. it's i like i i feel like we're not here to judge quality of the bands in their current incarnation sort of the music mm-hmm. as it is now we're just kind of taking a little thought experiment we're taking a stroll into our imaginations 
and sort of seeing based on our, you know, admittedly very limited experience, uh, you know, sort of how we would think things would turn out. So, yeah, exactly. And that's a very good point is that with, with none, none of these, um, actually, yeah, I, I don't think any, well, one of them is potentially about musical quality, but it's not, it's not in the way you might think. Yeah. Like they're, I, I, they're like all... I, I have a couple that are kind of related to, but, but it's not to do with, um, you know, I, I, I like, I think it, it's just like, it, 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 it's almost like we're creating like alternate universes here. Like exactly. And the idea is that, uh, like this universe is not being affected. We're, we're not calling on the quality of this universe in a sense. Exactly. So. And I, I think for me, yeah, it was, it was, it was really about the larger context of, you know, what ripple effects would have, would have sprung from, you know, this one, um, uh, more or less. I, th I think there's one of them that, is a bit more broader that it's just I, I kind of tweaked a thought I've had for a while into this format, um, but uh, yeah. So do, do you do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Um, I might as well go first because I, I've got a really normy one um, that we might as well just get out of the way. Uh, you know, you know what's funny is I have one that is I try to stay away from like the really like you know the day the music died like really really yeah. uh, you know softballs if you speak but i think this one's interesting so i'm curious what, what your your uh, normal yeah I, I mean th th this shouldn't be very uh, i mean it's, it's cliche as hell but like sort of uh like a what if uh the beatles sort of didn't have their you know i i, I guess what i mean is like the british invasion mm. didn't have as much of an effect as it did is probably the best way to put that um because it's like you know if we do like oh beatles never existed it's like it's it, it's kind of hard to, to kind of think about that case because mm -hmm. it's like you know it was like Beatles and Elvis were like responsible for like sort of the way popular music even you know went as a business so it's it's just very difficult uh, and again very cliche but I, I guess mm -hmm. just thinking about like the British invasion it's sort of thinking about like you know like like what if someone caused a bigger stir than the Beatles? Like, you know, like, what, what if it was like the Walker brothers or, you know, or, you know, I, I guess Walker brothers came after the Beatles mm -hmm. to a certain extent, but anyway, just like sort of seeing what would happen if that era was diminished somewhat, you know, and, and we came to, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if some other band filled that place. I don't know if maybe if jazz filled that place, I don't know. I, I guess that's where I just kind of want to start. No, but I mean, that, that is, that is you know, one of the most, you know, it's a very common, uh, you know, what if scenario, but there's a reason that it's because it's, they had such a big effect. You know, the British invasion was, you know, one of the most influential moments in, you know, the evolution of music overall, is particularly music and the cons consumption of it in it's, it, the US. It's, it's just funny that, like, I, I feel like if we're doing, like, AUs like the two most popular are like oh what if the Beatles didn't exist and the second one is like what if the Axis powers won World War Two <laughs> it's just like <laughs> like what yeah it's kind of funny um, and it's interesting because the there was an attempt to recreate this recently the movie yesterday yeah I was thinking about that too and I'm like hey, which like, you know what now that I'm thinking about it is. I, the the biggest thing about that movie that makes no sense is how, how come this one fucker like remembers all these songs? Yeah, it's funny because like it, it's such a it, it is an interesting premise that again people have talked about forever, but the way they did it was like it it just was so bad. And I, I had to yeah. pull this up while we were talking. 
uh, I haven't seen it, but I've, I've you know, I've, um, I have so little interest. I think, I think I've, I've seen enough people talk about it that I kind of, I'm like, okay, the premise itself, I don't, but Fantano <laughs> did a review or didn't do it. He did like a, you know, kind of the three problems with yesterday's premise. And like, he talked about, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of really good points. The fact that like, um, in 2020 or 2019, whenever this movie came out, you couldn't just play Beatles songs and they would have the exact... Like, the whole the whole premise is that he's just playing, like, Hey Jude, and everyone's reacting the exact same way. Mm. And it's like, that's not how it worked. But I just want to do a quick shout-out. Uh, it's a channel called Pretty Much It that I, I am not familiar with, but uh, he was... Fantana was on this guy's channel, and they watched and commented on Yesterday Together. And oh, it that's, is... That's awesome. ...really, really funny. Um, but, I mean, more seriously, yeah, it's incredibly... Uh, I mean, it's interesting to think about what if, you know, the biggest artists in any genre didn't exist. Um, and obviously the Beatles are one of the biggest musical phenomenons that ever happened. So it, it, it's, yeah. a, it's a very... I, you know, part of me wonders whether... Because I think our, 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 you know, sort of um, view or our stance uh, of the Beatles as like this cultural, you know, force to be reckoned with... I, I think it's partially derived from, you know, like nostalgia from sort of, you know, our parents mm, and their parents sure. and, th- and things like that. And I think that like sort of history has, you know, kind of warped things a little bit, uh, you know, a, a little revisionism almost to make it seem like it was like, you know, it's, oh, here's the crown for these guys, you know, but, but like, but, but when it comes to like doing anything for like the Rolling Stones or the who it's like, fuck them kind of, mm-hmm. which is like not, not really actually the case. Um, so it, 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 it does make me wonder because I like, I, yeah, I, I, I guess, I don't know. Where, where, where would you go with this? In terms of my next or, or of this specific topic, I, with this specific topic, like I, I wanted to dive into it just a little bit, um, and then we can move on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it's interesting the the different directions people took because my my parents grew. You know, I, I have friends whose parents grew up listening to the Beatles religiously, and still today they share that love with my friends and you know they, they think the Beatles are the greatest greatest thing ever and and you know I, I thankfully have grown to actually we're just listening to uh, we took a drive uh, this weekend to for you know family gathering outside and uh, we listened to the White Album on the way and, nice. know, I, I appreciate that I, I've grown to love them as much as I do but my parents took the opposite approach where they they grew up listening to the Beatles and loving the Beatles but it just they got burnt out because you know mm. they were just so pervasive um, but I, I, I think I think it really boils down to, um, I mean, it, it's based, there's merit to the fact that they're, you know, Beatles are an incredibly important band. I don't think anyone, anyone would dispute the fact that they're important. I mean, whether or not they're the greatest or the best, I guess you can, you, we yeah. can talk about that. And, you know, we've talked about that in this exact podcast. But I just, I think the fact that that idea has been said by so many people for so long that it's just, it's kind of a part of, it's just kind of a part of musical culture at this point. It, it's kind of, it preceded the whole Kanye debate in a way, um, or a- any number of artists today who have kind of cemented themselves among the indie blogosphere or the music blogosphere is that like they've reached such a status that if you don't like them, it, it, it might hurt your credibility, especially amongst a certain, certain audience. Like just so many people have loved mm. them for so long that you saying you don't like them 
I mean, I feel like automatically, and, and there's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with, you know, this, but, you know, what I was going to go with that is, I mean, there are people who, after a while of hearing their musical opinions, it's not that I think they're wrong, but I'm just like, yeah, I, it's just, I know that we, we don't, we don't align. So yeah. like just you know like I I could tell you know if they review something and how they approach reviewing and writing about it I'm like uh, I'm a little wary about this or like oh that kind of surprises me like if if I know someone who really really hates a um, hates death metal in general but loves a specific death metal album either a it's an amazing death metal album or it has a lot of elements that are really outside of what I like about death metal which is why mm-hmm. it appeals to them so yeah so that was kind of an offshoot but essentially. I think that it's just kind of become such an accepted norm that the Beatles are, are so great that, it, and again, it's based in fact. It's it's not it's not a, a total misconception by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's just it's so well accepted and has been for so long that it, it's it, it's as close to musical fact as you can get, frankly. Yeah. In a lot of people's mind. Yeah. Maybe this is one that we should probably skip you know skip over at this point because it's maybe just so cliche in a way no but i i think it's a really i mean when you think of musical what ifs that's it's such a i'm glad you brought it up because obviously i mean we've talked about it for 10 minutes and, and it's there's a lot of different um ideas that have sprung from it i mean they are such an incredibly important band in the evolution of of music and what would have happened if a different one you know, yeah. obviously, like, what if, you know, Rolling Stones are really celebrated? What if they were the British band that, you know, reached the status of the Beatles? Obviously, the Rolling Stones are incredibly celebrated, but what if they oh, were man. at the Beatles level? The, the 60s would be a lot dirtier. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ain't, ain't that true? Oh, that's so accurate. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. But, like, just, man, I, I, like, I, I just feel like things would be grosser, even though that's not a word. Yeah. It, things would be more gross. Uh, I, I love Rolling Stones. I, I just, I always get this feeling that that they they they're they're kind of like a bunch of young devil dirtbags, and, and like I, I I like that. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, like it, it it's it's kind of like I've talked about this before that like like the '70s and like maybe even the '80s kind of feel like if you shake anybody's hand, you kind of need to just like take a shower afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's uh, funny. So anyway, I I, I, I think I, I think I've killed this one. So um, <laughs> no, this is, this is a great one to start us off. Really got us talking, and yeah. it actually flows in really um, well with mine because um, mine is also kind of a more normy uh, topic, but also it's a British invasion. But it's a British invasion that went a little bit awry. Um, what if the Sex Pistols uh, never toured the U.S. and, by extension, or potentially, didn't break up right away, or at least you know their breakup was postponed? Because I think I think it's it's really it's it's assumed that you know it was a powder keg when they were back in England. It, it, it was they were yeah. a band that was breaking apart the seams. Obviously, they weren't. Well, so much of it is is. Like, I don't know. It, it's debatable how much of it was was orchestrated or not. Yes, that's that's um, also very true. Yeah. Um, but you because, know, t- well, I was just saying that the, the the band's manager. I think it was Malcolm McLaren, if I remember right. He was pretty notorious for being kind of like a uh, 
uh, manipulative asshole. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, if, if if you ever read um, uh, Rip It Up and Start It Again by Simon Reynolds, it's it's about um, a post punk, and it sort of dives into like, uh, you know, sort of the last years of the Sex Pistols in a way. Uh, because they, they they talk about public image limited for mm. um, a certain amount of it, but interesting. Yeah, yeah because, because I mean that that's a little bit kind of where I was going with it in a way. Um, you know, in, in a, you know in, in this instance, let's just you know take it at face value that this is uh, you know it, it was all genuine. They genuinely went to the yeah. U.S. They toured. It went really poorly, and then they broke up at the end. What if they stayed in the U.K. Because if you yeah, I think we're both in agreement that Nevermind the Bollocks is not... It's it's not our favorite punk record. I, I don't of, think I've ever actually listened to it in full. Uh, or maybe even at all. I, I've just, like, I've, I've heard snippets of it, and I've just had so little interest in it. It's it's not bad, it's just not... In my opinion, it's not it's not the pinnacle of... I mean, it's incredibly important. It's very... It was obviously well regarded well, I mean, they, by... The thing is, it really isn't that important, though, at the same time, because, like, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, Sex Pistols were the first punk band. Like, uh, no. Like... Well, sure, but, I, I mean, the, people... Like, there, there are a ton of other American bands that were doing it, too, man. Sure, so. but I, I think, you know, the important thing here is that, you know, I agree with you with the important thing is that people... People th- thought they were important. At the time, people, you know, and since... Um, well, do they though? Because like I, I, I feel again like similar to the Beatles. Like I, I think part of it is like our history, you know, kind of like being rewritten in a way. Uh, but I mean, but I, I, I was alive in in seventies Britain, but you know, like my sense and everything I've read is that they were they were considered an important fan. I mean, like I, I don't I don't know anything to the contrary. Yeah, I, I well, I, I think, but my point is just like that. Their I you know it their influence could be overrated, just a little bit. It could be, but you know, uh, I, like because a, a lot of that stuff has to do with more marketing. Like you know, <laughs> like like I feel like in a hundred years from now, like people might go back and be like, "Oh yeah, Nickelback was an important band <laughs> of our time." Well, it's I like, mean, I, I think that's I think that's a little bit of a I don't know if that's a fair comparison, but <laughs> I, I mean, it, it certainly. Uh, I mean, if we're going to talk about marketing, a lot of their aesthetics. And their marketing and their visuals are—I mean—they're they're staples of, you know, punk fashion and. and but I, I, I meant sort of how the media took them oh, as sure, being yeah. like bad boys and kind of ran with it. Yeah, I, mean, I was looking at um, it a different way that I but think. You know. If if we're talking about like actual scenarios, though, uh, see, I, I do wonder about that. Like I I I think that. Like, the timing of, like, that, you know, sort of that point in the 70s, like, I think it was just such a, like you said, it was a powder keg. So I feel like, you know, anybody could ignite it, in a way, if, if they got, like, enough people behind them. Yeah, but but they, they were, I mean, so, they were the band that, that, that did, though. You know, like, yeah, but I, 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 I'm I just don't... saying that, 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 that like, you know, in, in, in this alternate universe, like, if, if we're going to get hypothetical, like, I'm thinking, like, maybe, like, Richard Hell, you know and let, let, like you know ends up you know being the person who ignites that like may, maybe he shows up on british television even though he's american so like they're touring the british isles he ends up just like really pissing off some people and like people cannot get enough of it that's, i mean it's interesting from my perspective was that not i mean it wasn't that the sex pistols didn't exist it was that they didn't didn't break up that what what if you know because they kind of had a you know, uh, lightning, lightning yeah. in the bottle. You know, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they were 
the band of the moment for I think really they were only around for like two years, two and a half years. Yeah, so that sounds right. I, I mean, I think just based on how long they were around and like their limited output, their legacy obviously has been overstated. But just in that moment at the time, I'm curious what would have happened if oh, they okay. did stay on. What would? So, uh, I I don't know if this is actually one of your later ones, but one of the one of the what ifs I flirted with was um sort of what would Nirvana be like if Kurt Cobain hadn't you know uh, took his own life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's very similar that like because like think about like how corporatized the Sex Pistols are now mm-hmm. in a way Th- think about how corporatized Nirvana is now like it's yeah it, I, it, I, I mean you can you can find Sex Pistols shirts at you know Hot Topic and yeah I um, it it makes me think that there is like a possibility of just like sort of going into mediocrity very fast like if if the sex pistols had like gone on just a little longer like put out some other album or you know what have you like i feel like you know there's a good chance that like you would have one of those bands that like well almost like a like a milli vanilli kind of situation (laughs) like like not necessarily like a one-hit wonder or like a plagiarism scandal or uh no what, what, what was their thing it was um were, were, were they faking playing or something? They, they were like lip syncing. Oh, they they were yeah. Um, I, I, and, I think that I think that was Vanilla, right? And it was also I mean the the one I think of in that regard was uh, Ashley Simpson. Uh, uh, Black Box. Everybody, everybody, or strike <laughs> it up. Do you know? Do you know that they were like? I I, I just know the Family Guy segment with yeah, Cleveland. Exactly, yeah, but they, but, uh, you know, they were. My mom listened to them a lot when she was working out in the late '90s when I was a kid, um, and it was that was a huge lawsuit because uh, the woman who sang on the record was, you know, was not featured at all in any videos. It was a young, attractive model. The singer was a heavier set woman, a little uh, older. Um, and so she sued and said, you know, like I, you know, they, they made it seem like it was this model singing, not her. And her, her name was, did not appear anywhere on any of the, it wasn't just marketing. Like, like she didn't get any credit. So she, mm. she, she sued in one, which is why now if you perform on the record, you have to be credited period, which is interesting huh. that happened so recently. Like that, that was, you know, yeah. I think that court case was only like 20, 30 years ago, which is, but yeah, I, um, well, like my, my, my point more is just that like, you know, you like it, it's kind of like a Warhol 15 minutes of fame yeah except that like you know I, I I think if you have more than 15 minutes of your time even even close to the spotlight I feel like that initial 15 minutes kind of wears away like its integrity isn't as strong anymore yeah absolutely um, and I think that that is kind of a, maybe a better way of wording um, where I was going with this what if it yeah. is you know, would they have fizzled out and, you know, burned out a lot more quickly than, you know, they obviously, they've had one of the most celebrated 15 minutes of fame in their respective genre of, of any band. You know, they definitely... Minor threat. Um, well, but I, I think that that was, that was perhaps more, to, I mean, this is just my opinion, but I, I think that was more deserved than... <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> d- definitely. Yeah. I, but, I, again, we're, 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 we're not talking about quality here. Yeah, when you, when you talk, like, I, I think that even... I mean, Mind Thread even wrote, just, like, lengthwise, less music than... Uh, well, maybe, it might be close. I don't know how long Nevermind the Bollocks is. But, yeah, I think it's interesting. Either, A, they would have been exposed and, like, really fizzled out if they had 
you know, lasted longer. Again, assuming that oh, shit, dude. I, now I'm thinking about minor threat. I'm like, damn, no Fugazi. I know shit. that's a, that's an interesting one. If that actually didn't make my list because uh, I already. Uh... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I think the whole like, oh, what if this band didn't do this thing is 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 kind of like, you know, it, it's it, it's it's been done a lot. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, that's again why I tried to you know di- different scenarios versus what if this band broke up or what if this person died because yeah. that's kind of. Um, but yeah, that was you know I just tried to get that out of the way. Because yeah. I, that was one that just occurred to me only because I know we've talked about before that it, it, it it's always been interesting like how much of an influence they've had particularly I think when you look at a lot of the the fashion and aesthetics of of, of punk, punk. Yeah. they definitely had a huge influence but or or you know with public image limited being delayed or not happening at all would that have been folded into their music who knows so. Yeah. Anyway, it's funny for like our two normie let's get out of the way picks. They we've <laughs> we've really explored them for a while. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so what's uh, what's so your next one? My next one is actually something we talked about last week. I brought it up, and I think it was actually the thing that spurred this conversation in the first place. Uh, well, to a certain extent, uh, was uh, Miles Davis and Jimi Hendrix uh, supposedly going to be collaborating oh, together yeah. on an album, and then Hendrix un- unfortunately ended up dying. Um, and I, that's just something that I, I like that kind of blows my mind because mm-hmm. like you, you're basically taking like the two most forward thinking musicians like in the United States at that time and being like, just like putting them together and just seeing what the fuck happens. Mm-hmm. And like, it has the possibility of being just like a complete dumpster fire. Like, and I, I don't mean in terms of quality, but more in just like. You know, I I could see kind of like an ego clash between the two of them, even though I I, I think they were friends. So, um, you know, th- th- there's no telling. But just I I I guess what I kind of want to parse out here is like, what do you think something like that would sound like? Oh, I think I mean, wow, I think it would sound like his electric era, but like, you know. well, yeah, I mean, I, I it would definitely be in that like electric era sort of thing. But I'm I'm thinking like. You know how far, how far out would they go with it? Because like you know, like by the time Hendrix died, he had already done like, you know, oh fuck, he 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 had done uh, the national anthem just almost out of feedback, you know, and like you know Miles Davis was like getting dangerously close to like, just like, complete noise sometimes, and like, you know, it it just really interests me to see like, sort of how far they would stretch that territory that they were in. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think what I was, was going to go with that is that it would be his electric era, but just, you know, taken to a, I mean, a whole, a whole new level. I, I mean, I think he, yeah. there, obviously he's, he's collaborated with some, uh, Miles Davis, that is, has collaborated with some great guitarists on, you know, all of his. Oh uh, God, yeah, M- uh, McLaughlin, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like he hasn't collaborated, you know, both in, you know, technical ability and just in, in um, the uh, ambition that someone like Hendrix has. And I think it would be, it would be, that's why, I'm, you know, when you brought it up this week, when you brought it up last week, it just, I, I didn't, I personally didn't know that was even discussed. Oh yeah. And like just thinking about how crazy, thinking about some of the more, um, really not necessarily free jazz but like you could see them being just like really crazy you know uh, explosive solos and hearing that you know backed by jazz and then obviously the the ripple effect of having 
um, two worlds collide in a way. Like, what would that have meant for the proliferation of, of jazz? You know, would would that have? Yeah. You know, obviously, when Hendrix passed, he was you know peak popularity within the you know the counterculture, or just you know the rock fandom. What would that have meant? to have him collaborate with and obviously miles davis was well known at the time but yeah but he definitely he didn't have that counterculture kind of thing which which i think rankled him actually to a certain extent Mm -hmm. um because like i on the corner is like perceived as like his attempt at trying to like uh talk to the new youth you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the hip new youth the the, the whole steve buscemi thing (laughs) hello fellow kids hello Hello. fellow youth (laughs) No, uh, wow, that that is that is a really really fascinating. Yeah, it, and just just one more thing, and then we'll move on. It's I, I think the production possibilities too, just in terms of music technology, because you know, like what Miles was even doing then, like you know, applying wah pedals to like trumpet, like that that was pretty out there. But yeah. then you have Hendrix doing like all this weird out there shit as well, like pioneering these techniques that are just like commonplace now. You know, and then, but, but then you also have like someone like that Miles works with like Teo Marquero, who, you know, was like a very important part of making Bitches Brew what it was. And so it's, it's just like, it would be really interesting to see sort of those, those three minds come up with something like whether like, you know, they would do something sort of akin to Bitches Brew where they would just do a bunch of like improvised lines or, and then, then like kind of like piece it together like music concrete almost mm-hmm. or what i it, it just like just fascinating in a way yeah absolutely um, i mean that's it, it's really the creativity there would have been so wow it's just yeah. it's hard to even imagine like where they could have gone with it it really sucks that it didn't you know yeah it didn't happen that would have been really really cool yeah all right so uh what do you have next then yeah, my, mine's a, it's another quick one. It's kind of like me uh, slightly tweaking a thought I've had for a while. Um, and I, I, I pause it in this way, but I, I'll explain a little bit after I, I just kind of get the question out. Um, what if Cannibal Corpse had never been banned or never been, you know, vilified by, in the way they were? Ultimately? Oh, like, like by the press. What if they hadn't become such a taboo band? Because obviously... They're an important death metal band. Not just want to get that out of the way. They're a great death metal band. I, I personally prefer the Barnes era. I think the Corpse Grinder era. I feel era, like most people do. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I, I think the Corpse Grinder era is starting to get a little formulaic. But obviously, their you know early material is some of the incredibly influential um, death metal. Part of what was influential was just how much they pushed the envelope. And when you look at some of their well, I mean all of their album cover but specifically their earlier track, album track cover names too. and track fuck, titles fuck with a knife <laughs> yeah i come blood um yeah. uh, entrails ripped from a virgin's cunt that that's a classic um yep. i remember I, I bought i think that's on i think it's on tomb of the mutilated and i i bought a copy Just that was in that the car. fucking album cover too i know it's it's horrendous and butcher to birth is really really gra- graphic um even the bought, bleeding which is like more abstract is yeah, still like but pretty still, fucked up exactly um, but I had a I had a copy of um, uh, Tombs of the Mutilated. Yeah, and Lauren was looking at it. when she got to that track title. She just read it so slowly and in such a shocked way that I couldn't help but laugh. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I, I think it's really difficult um, 
uh, or maybe that's you know putting it in a in a negative way. But like I think it's easy to see how crucial that aspect of their presentation was to their overall success because they became like there are so many bands I could list that had equally um, or at least they were approaching the level of you know potentially offensive D- con- disgusting. content. Disgusting. Yeah. Exactly. But just they for whatever reason they didn't push the envelope as far or they, you know, Campbell Corpse are one of the earliest bands. I mean they I think their first album came out in like the late like eighty seven or eighty eight. So they were on people's radar sooner. I just I think it'd be really because I think regardless of what their album covers or track titles looked like, they were such an incredible uh, incredibly important band for the evolution of brutal death metal, you know, slam, stuff like that. I, I don't think that their influence or their popularity would have waned entirely. I do wonder what would have happened if they weren't as, if they didn't lean as heavily into. Um, can I can I raise the stakes on this very slightly? Sure. What if we narrow it down to one event? Is what if Cannibal Corpse didn't show up in Ace Ventura: Pet Detective? Yes, that was actually that was where I was going to go with it because I think yeah. one of the reasons that they were because like they're just everything about them is so classic. Um, like that's they are what people think about when they think of like a cartoonish death metal band. Like yeah. they truly are like they are like the epitome of what people like what or clitoris. Like. Yeah, exactly. Oh jeez, our, yeah, our favorite Corp- band. Oh. They're what people, you know, parents are afraid of. They're what, like, you know, people who don't listen to Death Metal, like, you know, you know those memes, like, what I think Death Metal sounds yeah, like. Yeah, like, yeah. What it act- like, that's what, this is what they, they think of, especially at that time. So, yeah, I think that just their notoriety, I think that helped them get into, I mean, I'm not, I forget when Ace Ventura came out. I don't know if the, the, the this like 90s. Yeah. Like, I don't early know the, 90s. I, I I don't know, dude. I yeah, was, I, don't, I don't I don't know yeah. how the chronology of events would uh, work. Ninety four, yeah. So a lot of their, um, a lot of their really, uh, like like graphic albums had definitely come out by ninety four. I th- I think you know, definitely. Um, I'll just keep talking while I look, but yeah, I think yeah, that I, that was a huge reason that they are as you know they had as much visibility and the fact that they were. And they, we're not just talking about like they were banned in you know, like he- heavily religious countries or whatever, or like they were banned just like in the Middle East. They were banned in Australia, Germany, Russia. You know, they had pushback in the U.S. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, like I, I, I think that. I mean, again, I'm being very technical here. I think that that was a symptom of a larger problem. Just you know, oh sure, a, a larger yeah. problem named Tipper Gore. But um. absolutely, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but yeah, the the bleeding came out in '94, so you know, Butcher to Birth, Tomb of the Mutilated, those albums came out before, and certainly they probably got the producer's eyes. Like we we just we need like a a really over the top funny. I mean, because I think to a lot of people we underestimate how much people think metal is kind of a goofy, silly genre. Like in um, in Monsters University, the it came out that came out a few years ago at this point. Um, one they drop you know she drops off all the kids. To you know, to do oh, yeah, something. And, and then she turns on Cannibal yeah, she Corpse. She says, well, I'm just going to listen to my programs. Yeah, and like Mastodon plays. And like, oh, right. Yeah, I saw that in, uh, you know, in the theaters. And then it played it when I was in college. They actually played it at uh, the, you know, the big um, auditorium, whatever. And yeah. that scene, everyone, it got a huge laugh. Because I think to people who don't listen to metal, like anything like that just sounds kind of funny. It just sounds, sounds kind of like ridiculous to them. 
So I, I mean, think it, that, it, it, it can be funny and still be great, but yeah, sure, yeah. But yeah. I, I think you know, there people who aren't used to it, like they hear just like over the top guitars and like yelling and stuff like that, and they just think it's funny. Obviously, the fact that like it was a cartoon monster bomb who was listening to it. I mean, it's a funny scene. Yeah. But I feel like either Jim Carrey, or I don't know how much sway he had in the movie, or like the producers are like, let's just get well, a really over the top metal band, and like it'll be a Jim funny Carrey moment. is is apparently like a big. Like or at least at least semi big metal fan. So hey, there you go. That, that, that's like, also yeah. Because there are like interviews with him talking about like Napalm Death and stuff like that. Interesting. That's... Which is just really funny. Yeah. But yeah, I, it it is something to think about. I the, the thing is like I I feel like metal is such an insular genre mm-hmm. that it I I feel like it wouldn't have that much of a negative effect. In a way, like I, I feel like it'd be like, you know, I, I think maybe those kids who like whose parents never let them, you know, listen to what they wanted, like they, they all happen to go see Ace Ventura, and like you know they saw that and like their minds are blown, they start looking into that type of music more, but like I, I feel like there are also like a huge group of of people who are just like, you know, who who were willing to kind of dig underground for that music. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I, I, guess I, 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 I just, I just don't see like it being a huge effect. I guess. Yeah, I mean that's why I said at the top. I, I think they absolutely, regardless of what you know, they could have really, really blasé, boring covers, and they still, you know, the music they created spoke for itself. But mm. I, I, I do, I do think, or I do wonder. I think it would have an impact. Just I don't, I don't know what impact it would have, but I think definitely. If you didn't have that kind of visibility and that kind of, I mean, I mean, that's why a part of me was thinking of having, you know, the Satanic Panic or the Tipper Gore stuff on here because I think there's a lot of people who think that the parental advisory label actually helped album sales because it. it, I, it I, I, I think it does. I mean, it's the thing. Yeah. If you want to make something popular, you know, tell it's people like, not to do it. Like this is, you know, like what's on there? Like why does it have that label? So, but yeah, I think to to some degree that's the fact that it was so reviled and like I I have friends who. We're into more safer forms of metal, but they, specifically this one friend, friend started listening to Dying Fetus because he just thought they were, they were funny. You know, the name the name was silly and some you know some of their track titles, and then ultimately now he's a genuine fan. So I think hooks I think hooks like that just are are important. So yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. But yeah, definitely. Anyway, what's your uh, what's your next one? So this is a strange one. Um, not not as strange as the ones coming up after this one, but I this is something that that kind of came to my mind when I was writing down ideas last week, and that's um so recently uh, I think it was like last year or so, or last couple of years, um there were reports that the two thousand eight Universal Studios fire damaged like a significant amount of like you know popular culture, like burned like you know a lot of like original reels of film things like that, but. Also, a great number of master tapes by a number of musicians, including Coltrane. And uh-huh. I mean, the, the the list is huge. And uh, I'm just sort of wondering, uh, you know, what, what would happen without that? You know, because like obviously, where that fire occurred, it's it's not like I I I don't think people were really like, you know eager to jump into that area of universal mm. studios you know to dig for these albums so like i'm wondering like do you think it just would just stay there like unused because then you know like recently we had that new coltrane album and like th- there's still popularity for them and you know they're still popular for art, a lot of these artists mm-hmm. and so just i don't know like it 
and I think even if you want to reach beyond that, because I, I, I think that fire, you know, or at least the aftermath of it uh, from like the last year or so has been really crucial in like sort of cementing independent music, in, uh-huh. in my opinion, anyway, because you, you have these people who just like don't care about your music at all. And na- now, you know, some albums that you've spent, you know, possibly years putting together no longer exist. That, that it, when, when did you say this happened? Because this sounds vaguely so familiar. The but. the fire itself happened in 2008, but I think there was like a New York Times expose. Uh, it could have been a few years ago now, uh, but definitely like late 2010s. That's so uh, interesting to me that that only yeah. happened 12 years ago. Because nowadays you think of, of stuff being stored in the cloud or you know, yeah. like stuff's being stored in well, multiple I mean, places. To, to, to be fair, like, like master tapes are still, I, I think, being stored physically. Sure. Um, like, it, it, there's actually a really interesting uh, video of um, this, uh, Earthquaker devices. They're like a brand of uh, their, their guitar pedal manufacturer, but mm-hmm. they have a YouTube channel. They uh, they they'll go over to like fam- famous musicians like studios and sort of like it's it's called Show Us Your Junk. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, great. And uh, so one of them was was Re- uh, Lee Ronaldo from Sonic Youth, and like he was just like pointing just out like around the shelf. He's like, oh yeah, he, here's like all of our masters like right here on this shelf it's like fuck like (laughs) like your entire career is right there and like just like set that shit on fire you're like not getting that back (laughs) but 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 then again i i I feel like there's enough of it online that you could still get a decent copy of it but still yeah i think that's interesting to me is that nowadays you just don't think of, of stuff being lost like and music yeah. or anything and it's lost forever in the internet age but yes early 2008 that was a you know it, that is do we have any idea who lost uh the, there is a huge list yeah um, i was gonna say i'm sure sure it's extremely significant so i am going to just go um yeah, yeah, so because I, 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 this is just wikipedia and it says uh that universal disputes this list but um, I'm just going to name off some bigger ones. So Aerosmith, uh, Paul Anka, I guess would you call it? Uh, Louis Armstrong, Audio Slave, Albert Ayler, Joan Baez, um, Beck, Sidney Bechet, Captain Beefheart, uh, Chuck Berry, Art Blakey, Blink-182. Um, bu- 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 I mean, I can keep going. T-Bone, Burnett, um, Hoagie Carmichael. Ray Charles, Cher, Don Cherry, uh, Patsy Cline, Ornette Coleman, John Coltrane. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's just, it keeps going on and on yeah, and on. Yeah, so. that's just ABC. and that, that, that's, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, just to think, you know, yeah, how many of those were, you know, would they just put on to, uh, you know, kind of a, a Coltrane reissue that we saw a few years ago where I still, I still like the music on that. It had some really good ideas. I just think that the presentation was really, it was it was just very transparent as, as a cash grab. So I, I think yeah. I'm I'm curious would they have presented some of these in the same way and it would have ruined it. But but still, I mean, there's it's that's such a huge what if that that is such a huge swath of albums from artists from so many different genres. Like to yeah, think, and me, yeah. To, to be fair, um, I mean it's it's very disputed. Like you know, Universal says one thing, the New York Times says another. Sure. And you know, in in this day and age, who the fuck do you believe? You know, I'm it's... I'm sure I'm sure no one. I think genuinely, they're you know, 
there's no one that actually knows the full extent or you know just who is loved because again that is such a huge range of artists that you know with so much being destroyed by fire we, we may never you know obviously may never know that's really interesting yeah uh, you know it, it it definitely just spells a lot out for the future too uh because you know even if it's not music history that you know the most of the world wasn't aware of it's music history nonetheless yeah absolutely so, that's fascinating okay. yeah um yeah so i i'm i realized as we sat down that all of mine are well, with the exception of sex pistols all of mine are, are metal related but hopefully <laughs> they're all different enough that it won't, won't be too weird but uh, my next one what if justin broderick uh never left napalm death Ooh. Um, so justin broderick was and this song is one of those it's kind of like how um uh, oh jeez! That's a. I really like this one. Uh, Larry Larry Lalonde. Why, why do I always forget the guy from Primus? Yeah, Larry Lalonde. He was in. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what, uh, possessed. Yeah. What if he'd stay with Possessed? What if you know? But like that one, I didn't do because I still. I think as, as great as, as he is, I think that obviously the soul of that band is Les Claypool, and I think he could have found. Like I feel like you could find, and they did. They've had different drummers and guitarists, but just Les Claypool is Primus. But I think in this case, it's not just what that would mean for Napalm Death, because he appeared on the A side of Scum, which obviously was a huge breakout album for them, and then uh, from Enslavement to Obliteration, which came out the year after in 88, that was a huge um, sophomore album. It really, it took what they, you know, kind of the grind that they had done, you know, they had pioneered on Scum to a different level, then you had you know well-regarded EP, Mentally Murdered, Harmony Corruption had, you know, a lot of death grind elements, which were really um, well celebrated. And then they just kind of went on from there and became a staple band. You know, what if he had stayed because they were on the cusp of, of really starting to make a name for themselves? And that would have been interesting in terms of what he would have brought to Napalm Death, given what we know about, you know, what he went on to do when he left Napalm Death. Mm. But of course, what would have happened? Would he have founded Godflesh and Yesu? If he was still in Napalm Death, and more importantly, would you know what would they have looked like? Would he have put off founding those bands until well after Napalm Death had you know put out a few releases? Would he have been able to? Um, would he be able to accomplish as much with those bands? Because obviously, you know, Godflesh their initial run was from the late '80s through the early 2000s, and then he formed Yesu soon after. Would he have pushed those way off? And then it's not just all the, the collaborations and stuff he's done since and with yeah. those projects. I mean, Godflesh has had an enormous influence on a ton of bands, especially in post-metal. And then Yesu has, you know, they've enjoyed a lot of, you know, kind of an influential spot amongst the, the new crop of Doom Gaze and obviously newer Shoegaze bands. Just, I think that one decision, just, I don't know how, when it clicked with me, but I just, I think that would be fascinating to see yeah, what I, would have happened. I, I feel like... There are a couple different routes my mind's taking. That's like I think if he had stayed in there, there's the chance that Napalm Death could have just gone, you know, could have sort of reacted to Broderick's, you know, uh, interest in in other genres, mm-hmm. yeah, and and sort of begun to sort of be, you know, almost, almost do like an over type of thing that like they become like more of a collective and like they start sure. really experimenting with shit. Um, and, and to be fair, like, I, I mean, arguably Napalm Death were kind of 
already on that trajectory. Uh, you know, but n- 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 maybe not as heavily as, you know, Godflesh was. Yeah. But, like, you know, but, like, you know, the, the the fact that they were kind of branching out by, like, their second and third album, like, that, I, I feel like that that's kind of telling. Uh, because, I mean, lo- look at ACDC. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, 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 they've, they've put out, well, like, you know, like, ten albums, and they're all the same. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Uh, I, I think that's one case. I think that, you know, it, it's... Like it, it, I, I think the, I think the bigger thing is like experimental metal on the whole. I think would just, wouldn't exist. It would, or yeah, it would, or it would definitely sound. not in the same way because like, you know, you just like if you really think about it, like they were like one of the first like metal bands to really just like, do things super differently. Absolutely, I think you know, and obviously like we've discussed. Um, I mean, just it, it's hard to imagine. You know, when you look at some of the people who, uh, let me just click on Godflesh's page, because I remember when I was first getting into Godflesh, this is what really attracted me to them, was just the list of people who have, you know, reportedly um, said they were influenced by, uh, mm. you know, other people, different points of their career, you know, Metallica, Fear Factory, Korn, Isis, Neurosis, Pelican, Prurian, Helmet, Prong, Nailbomb, Code Orange, Mortis, Devin Townsend, Converge. They've all said before they were influenced by Godflesh, and that, that's a that that's just the kind of like the names people might recognize. Obviously, yeah. you look at the whole, um, you know, the whole genre of post metal, and obviously what post metal has been able to influence. I just think, and again, you know, as we said at the top of the top of the hour, uh, not necessarily saying that uh, music would evolve badly you're like things would go obviously it would just it would be different you know indisputably it would be different but i am very curious how that would go because i think they're one of those that's one of those ripple effects you didn't you know you don't think about that often it was it was such a consequential decision that he because the recording of scum was kind of a mess you know they both i think even beyond broderick i think both sides of scum feature pretty different musicians they were just kind of yeah if you look in, um, there's actually a really good book on death metal. Um, I can't remember. I think it's called Choosing Death. Oh, yep. If I remember mm-hmm. right. Uh, and they, they go into, like, early Napalm Death, and it is, like, tumultuous, at, like, mm-hmm. at best. You know, they they just had, like, so many different members early on in their career. It's crazy uh, that they become one of the most long-standing metal bands. Like, yeah, metal but I, bands. I don't know if there are, like, any original members left in it. I think the basis is the only. I think the basis has been there the longest, but yeah, I I don't think that there are any original like OG members. Yeah, kind of like Norma Jean in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a couple bands like that. I I never know what to think about that, to be honest. Like, do do you keep going on with the band even though it's like really not the same band anymore? But the thing is, you, you could also make that case for like if a single member leaves a band. So it's. It, it, it's an interesting topic, but yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, you're kind of like what you're saying. Like, it, it's um, like if the most important person leaves a band, um, but like does... even if like, like I'm thinking of like you know, um, sorry, just give me a second. Like, let, let, let's say that like Andy Rourke or Mike Joyce from the Smiths, you know, left the band. You know, or like I, 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 like the Queen is dead, but like, like you know, like the their stuff wouldn't sound the same. Yeah, e- for sure. E- even even if 
people you know point to Morrissey and Mars as like the the lead songwriters of it. Yeah, exactly. So. And you know who knows what their uh, you know how how much their the loss of their contributions would feel. And obviously, in these timelines, we wouldn't you know wouldn't know. Yeah, but it's it's. I, I, I'm I'm getting way way out of out of uh, out of line with our topic. So no, it's it's really interesting because uh, yeah, I I think just. Who who would Godflesh you know like or rather who would have been inspired by Godflesh and and Yesu and not picked up because we, we always talk about you know the difference between being influenced by an artist musically and just people who like it's interesting when you hear a lot of these uh, a lot of artists like you know, I think Metal Sucks Metal Ejection will do these videos what was your the most impactful album or most yeah. important and sometimes they pick albums that don't sound anything like the music they make because I think they're you know they're musicians or guitarists who influence people to pick up their instruments to begin with, but not necessarily yeah. influence. So See, I, I, I think just given how much material Justin Broderick has put out over his career and we're only talking so far, I, I, I just, I have this feeling that like a Godflesh esque band, like a band, something like Godflesh would, I, I feel like it, it would, it would happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. Just, it, it just might not look the same. I guess. Um, yeah. Just like I, I it, it, it's there are just certain musicians out there who just are so driven to kind of throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. That just it, it's like impossible to stop them. They're just like a fucking freight train. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be like trying to stop Zorn from making music. Like it's not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I, he will, he will make music until he's physically incapable of doing so. Oh, and then he'll. I mean, like, like John Milton famously like wrote Paradise Lost, and he was like completely blind. <laughs> wow, good yeah, for him. It, it, like, I, if I remember right, he would just like remember the bits of it, and he would have like his daughter write it down. I think, <laughs> which is just like fucking insane. Uh, that is really weird. But yeah, uh, do you have anything else left you want to talk about with this one or? No, I just I'm, I'm excited for my last one, but I, I yeah. want to hear what your your last one is first. Yeah, so uh, this, this is I, I was most excited for this one because I, I I think you know throughout all this we're talking about like oh what will happen without this or without that, but what if it was the other way around? What what if something was added instead of subtracted? Okay, and I'm talking about um, this is weird, but uh, Lou Reed's Metal Machine music, like. At the time this came out, it was universally reviled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm thinking, what if people liked it? L- huh. l- like, like, what what would music look like? <laughs> With Because, like, there's so many things related to that. Like, you know, Lou Reed famously thought that this this was, like, sort of the conceptual end of, of like, metal, in a way, and, like, hard rock. That like that that it would just eventually just be all noise, so like, you know, it, potentially you're looking at like the death of a genre, even, you know, it, which I I don't even think is possible in, in a way, uh, but on the other hand, you're also saying like there are critics who are reacting positively to noise music for the first time in like sort of a in, in a more uh, popular context like outside of like you know people who were like really into luigi like rosolo and shit like that um you know it's 
like do, does that mean noise ends up becoming uh you know more of a part of popular music because you know if it shows up around the time of metal machine music you know that pretty much ensures that you're going to have some part of pop culture use that in a big way you know it, it, it it's it's just very like like it, it, I don't, I, I, it, it's it's such an interesting thought experiment to me because like just like there is no more abrasive genre than noise. Like mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's literally like supposed to be the antithesis of music. And like, you know, <laughs> and to, to have it, you know, have some sort of popularity like that because it, it's it's just really it's never happened in in that way like i mean like, like obviously like there are successful noise musicians out there but like i i, I don't think i don't think there's ever been one that that's really like managed to like penetrate you know sort of the like the contemporary music zeitgeist in a way mm-hmm. i mean mersbau you know comes closest i think but even then like i'm thinking of like you know if if we were just to like you know, 50 years from now, just to go through Pitchfork's archives, like, you know, who would we see there, kind of? Mm-hmm. So. The, um, this is, I have to say, that this is, this really caught me off guard. And I, I think yeah. it, it's such an interesting, I'm, it's so. And, and then the other thing is, like, what would Lou Reed even do after this thing? Like, if this yeah. thing was a huge success, would he run with it? Or would he try to just keep doing all this different stuff. Exactly. Or, or, you know, ba- could be both. Probably yeah. would be both. Because based be on the way he presented it, I mean, I like saying that this is the, you know, he invented heavy metal and the... I, I, I don't think he said that. I think it was more that, like, this is sort of... It's, it like, I think he noticed that there's this trend of, like, increased aggression and, like, guitar tone and, like, gain and things like that. Yeah. And I, his idea is just, like, this is the natural conclusion of that. Yeah, I was I was reading, I mean, Wikipedia, take it for what, but in, in the yeah, album's exactly. liner notes, Reed claimed to have invented heavy metal and asserted that metal machine music was the ultimate conclusion of the genre. So, obviously, what, I mean... What, I what year did it come out, by the way? 75. And that, okay, that was, yeah. So... That was where I was going to go with this. That that was at a time where obviously it was panned by musicians, or excuse me, by well probably by musicians, but panned by journalists at the time. But that was a time where, um, you know, buying copy of Rolling Stone, reading music reviews meant something because you couldn't, you know, you couldn't hear, especially this kind of music, like on the radio, you couldn't hear it as easily. So it is really fascinating to to think about. I, what would have happened if people read because obviously it sounds weird and then you hear all the major critics you go to saying it sucks you're like okay well i'm just going to write this off but if if all the major critics that people went to for music were saying this was genius or whatever like i think it'd be really uh like like i mean again i, I hate to have every single episode bring up kanye but i think he's <laughs> such he's such a great he's such a great case study when it comes to music journalism and just talking about it because i genuinely think if Yeezus was not revered in the way that it was by journalists. I, I mean, I think people would still like it because it's Kanye. I really don't think it would have been as revered by... Like, I, I don't think people would have pretended to like it or would have said they liked it as much because there's just... It was such a departure from what he had done before and there are so many moments that just are experimental for, or, like, they're his idea of experimental. So I, I, I think even today when we, people can make, the, make up their own minds pretty easily, listen to music in full, you know... It can make an impact when people, you know, when critics 
kind of create that narrative. So yeah. it's I, such an interesting idea. And then I'll turn it back over to you. It's such an interesting yeah. idea that what if they had been, you know, quote unquote, told by the the experts they trusted that this was genius? It would be so like, would the general public clamor for this kind of music? Would it, it'd be like it, Trout Mask Replica yeah, all over it, again in a it's, way? It's such an interesting idea. I, I yeah, I really I would have never but come up with this. I, I I I also wonder though, what if you know maybe to I mean I think this is just making it more complicated, but what if the album was marketed differently? Like instead of being marketed as an album. What if it was a like a, a composition, like an actual like classical composition? Mm. Because I, I feel like it would be much more well regarded in that point. Yeah. Because like you know we're talking about like the seventies in like the seventies in New York, especially like classical music New York. You know, like things are batshit insane there. I mean Yoko Ono is just like you know cutting up dresses and screaming. You know. Yeah. <laughs> And like, and people are like all over it, and like, you know, I I think it's around the time that like Alvin Lucier did like uh, music on a long thin wire, which is it it's worth looking into that piece. It's a really interesting type of like sound art going on, and then but you also have like, you know, Lamont Young just like, again, just being fucking weird <laughs> with with music and just taking it in all these different cool directions. So like, if it was. If it was supposed, if it was more like on that side, like I feel like, like like just the possibilities are just so endless. Then, mm-hmm. um, and I, I I'm pretty sure John Cage would have been like all over it in a way. But yeah, <laughs> wow, hey, what what an interesting pick. That's really cool. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I when I came up with that, I was like, I I couldn't help but think about it more and more because it's just like. It's, it's such an insignificant album, and yet it isn't. Yeah. Um, that is so interesting. And I'm just, now that I have Wikipedia up, it's so interesting that in the same year he re- he released uh, Coney Island Baby, which I don't know anything about, but the cover and the fact that it's labeled as soft rock, I think is amazing. <laughs> it literally like, is the polar opposite of, of, of Metal Machine Music. It came out the same year. That's so interesting. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't surprise me. Knowing knowing Lou Reed. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually that's a good point. Um, so it's funny. <laughs> I'm because... just thinking of like just the the, the ending of, uh, of of White Light, White Heat, <laughs> sucking on my ding dong. <laughs> just <laughs> anyway, what, what's your last one? While I slowly die. <laughs> it's funny because you came up with such a creative one, but uh, you actually called out um, my last pick already, but I, I kind of, I word it in a in different way. So it right. is, what if Kurt Cobain didn't die? But yeah. I, I word it in a way because I, I, I have a specific slant that fits, you know, my own interest in one of my favorite bands. Uh, what if Dylan Carlson and Kurt Cobain never met? So Ooh. Dylan Carlson of Earth was actually really, really good friends with Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Uh, um, they, he, here's a little thing you might not know um i have it on good account that uh the gun that kurt uses actually belonged to dylan carson yeah actually originally. that's that's something i've read too and it was something i was i was that's kind of where i was going to go with my my point is oh is that sorry the, no no that, that, that's interesting because like what i read was that he cal carlson is quoted as saying he at the very least gave him money to buy the gun that he used to kill himself um, so that's, you know, in any case, and obviously they both were addicted to heroin at, at the time and, you know, whether or not, I didn't see anything that said that they 
necessarily helped each other, you know, in, in that respect. But obviously, if you're around people doing the same drug as you're doing, I, I can't I can't imagine it helps you want to quit. Yeah. Um, did the there's also, I mean, it's still, I mean, isn't it still disputed whether Kurt actually, like, did it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so. that's, a, that's a good point. I think it, it's it's something that is is not fully um, acknowledged. Yeah, but but, but, but the, the basic premise is just, you know, what if Nirvana was able to move on yeah. after In Utero? And it's interesting because uh, I, think, I think this could go in some positive and negative directions because i think so first we'll go if you don't know dylan carlson is of the band earth the drum metal band so i'll go with the nirvana angle first you know if he hadn't you know allegedly reportedly i mean some of this he i I mean he's quoted as far as i've seen that he helped him at least purchase the gun so that's that's not exactly it's not exactly a great (laughs) a great thing to admit to but you know let's say you know he hadn't have found a gun by different means. He potentially continued living on. Um, you know, what would have happened to Nirvana? Would they have been pushed to be more commercial? How would that have happened? Uh, I mean, I would argue that In Utero is a, is a more experimental album than Nevermind. Uh, I haven't listened to it as much as Nevermind, so that, you know, just to be fair, but I remember it being more, a little bit more out there, at least by their standards. Yeah. Um, so it'd be there's, interesting. There's, to see. there's a whole song called "Rape Me," you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then, you know, from there, would um, you know, would Foo Fighters exist? I think uh, Chris Novoselic was in Flipper, which you know is a little bit of an underground yeah. you know, popularity. But like, still, you know, would Foo Fighters didn't exist? Where where would Nirvana have gone? Um, so, like, obviously, I think that's like people speculated for a while. But for me, from the Earth angle, because I've been a big Earth fan for a while now, I'm really curious how that would have impacted them you know they didn't have their relationship because he said that he quit music for a really long time after kurt died because his heroin addiction got really bad and he just needed time to time off to uh to to deal with that he said he specifically took time off music um uh, let me look up the exact time frame but i'm curious if he hadn't if that hadn't happened and he continued progressing with his heroin addiction would he would he have passed away dylan carlson that is would he have not survived to you know, to the latter half of Earth's career? Would, would, would he would have survived and then did like a '90s drone version of "Kickstart My Heart"? But yeah, exactly because that 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 is interesting. Um, so obviously, Earth Two uh, is an extraordinarily influential drone metal album. Huge, obviously, you know, bands like Sun took huge influence from what he did on that. Um, you know, Phase Three, Thrones and Dominions was a bit more. Ambient was a bit more on the. Uh, uh, it actually had some percussion. It definitely was a bit more of a rock. What was the time span between those two albums, though? Uh, I think it was. I think they came out relatively close together. Yeah, okay. Earth Two came out in '93. Phase Three came out in '95. But then Penistar was kind of a full band, almost like a stoner rock album. It wasn't fully in that direction, but definitely it saw him ditching the uh, drone metal formula or like the 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 straight up drum metal formula that came out in 96. Um, and he, you know, obviously, uh, Kurt died in, was it 94? I or, think it was 94. So yeah. Um, I, and I, 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 I will I, look it up. I forget if Penistar came out after or before. Yeah, or uh, April 5th, 1994. Yeah. So I, I don't know if, um, so obviously I don't know like the, 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 the time frame of how bad his heroin got. I mean, obviously grief can, you know, can be long, you know, 
long-standing, but you know, after '96, you know, long decade-long hiatus, came back with Hex, which started out the kind of like gothic Americana, like like dusty drone doom that he did from there on out, which has kind of been a a revitalization of his career, and that's mm. you know what what he's you know great albums like Bees Made Honey in the Lion's Skull, the Angels of Darkness, Demons of Lights the series. Um, I honestly, I unfortunately haven't really loved the last two albums he's done, which have been a bit more straightforward. But I still think it's interesting to think what would have happened, you know, in that regard. You know, because a lot of these are, um, you know, when you think of what ifs, they're for really, really big artists. But I, I like, I wanted to bring it to music I listen to, like my um, my own specific interests, and I think it'd be really interesting to hear where he would have taken. His original career, if he would have survived, you know, if we wouldn't have if had any of these later career albums, because he definitely was trending more in a traditional stoner rock and doom metal direction. So mm. I don't know. I think it's interesting. It is, it's interesting those scenarios where it's like that that one. If they had never met, if they had never you know contributed to each other's depression or to maybe they um, would have their mental states would have improved independently who knows but just with that one meeting what what might have that what might that have changed so yeah i you know sort of related to that i'm thinking of like what would it be like if cobain never like you know was such a indie nerd in a way Mm -hmm. or like I, i think a bigger one is what what if uh he never wore that daniel johnston shirt like i'm wondering what would happen to daniel johnston then yeah that's a good point because uh, I, I I don't I don't really know if he would have even close to the amount of popularity he does now without that shirt. Now, not, 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 not not to say that you know it you know like his stuff is undeserved because he's I you know is a very like important musician to a lot of people. It's just like I I think what he you know the the way he distributed his music and things like that just ended up being like so different from everybody else mm-hmm. that you know it, it, it again always wondering always wondering about this stuff yeah it, it's it's a really interesting topic and i i think that uh for i mean all these topics are really interesting it's a really interesting yeah. idea to, to figure out like what would have what could have been and, you know obviously it stretches to any any form of media it's only we do in our own lives but i, I think it's it's interesting to think about because of how much um I mean, that, that's kind of the basis of, of recommending music to each other in an extent is like, you know, what does it sound like? Who do, you know, who do they sound like? Who are they influenced by? And I think that's at the core of a lot of these what-if scenarios is like the ripple effect of what bands form, what output do they, would they put out, not put out? It's fascinating to, to think about how, you know, one person's influence can completely change how, what bands form, what bands, um, you know, how, those, how band, different bands progress. So... Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, it's definitely. It, it, I think what part of what makes it interesting is just that you know, uh, as you always say, like music doesn't exist in a vacuum. Culture mm-hmm. doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's so like interpenetrating. It, it's always affecting itself in these myriad ways that we can only begin to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and just you know, like okay, okay, here's the poor way to end this whole conversation is is um 
a quote from uh, the movie Wanted. We, we don't know how far the ripples of our decisions go. So there you That's go. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. It's pretty uh pretty good teenage movie. Yeah, would, absolutely. Say, but All right. Sweet. So, we do Nums of the Week. <laughs> we are indeed, and I am going to let you go first, my friend. Again? Okay. Um, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> so, I um, I, I finally finished the, those those Bull Moose CDs, by the way. And nice. uh, Tom York's The Eraser, awesome. Give it a listen. But it is not my album of the week. Um, because I just randomly picked out a bunch of stuff on my shelf and started playing it. And uh, one album in particular is... I feel like I've never given it enough attention, and I uh, I'm really glad I gave it attention to uh, just a couple days ago, and that's um, uh, the self-titled Smiths album. Sweet. Uh, yeah, just like it, I mean, still like Real Around the Fountain is for me the worst way to open up an album, frankly. Um, <laughs> but not to say I dislike the song, but I just don't like how it's placed right there. Uh, but I, you know, listening to it again, like it, it's. I've really enjoyed it a lot more than I have previous times. Um, you know, and like, even like some of like the lesser known tracks on it, or at least I, I guess lesser known than like, you know, this charming man, like, you know, like hand and glove is probably what I'm pointing at here. Like things like that, like, are just uh, like, it's, it's, it's still a really solid album. Like it's, it's nowhere close to this miss best, but it's still really good. So yeah, it, it's, it's definitely, um, the the two songs that really turned me on to the, the Smiths were Hand and Glove and especially this Charming Man. Um, I, I for some reason like because I have like a playlist that I just have of just like favorite songs from like all these different artists, and this Charming Man has come on, at least three or four times in like the last four days. <laughs> it's it's such a good like just the the opening guitar and then punctured uh, bicycle on the hillside desolate. <laughs> it, it, it's one of my favorite. Uh, Will nature make a man of me? me? Yeah, it's one of my favorite Morrissey performances. And yeah, that, that's. Uh, I would actually say. Um, I would definitely go Queen is dead, Meet is murder, self-titled, and then Strange Ways. But yeah, I, I think I, that I'm there's the same way. There's a very. There's much smaller gaps between the first three, and then a little bit of a healthier gap between. <laughs> uh, only because I think with Strange Ways. Like, on the other albums, there are no songs I truly dislike, but that on Strange Ways, there's a few that I'm like, ooh, I really... Like, Unhappy Birthday is just, like... Like, that, that's... Talking about picturing what other people hear, that's what I picture, or I think people picture when, when they think of Morrissey's lyrics. Like, just, like, <laughs> super, like, he thinks he's, he's so much funnier than he is, and, like, so much snarkier than he actually is. I mean, that is kind of the truth, though. No, it's though. truth, but, like, that's just, like, the pinnacle of, like, I want to wish you an unhappy birthday, bitch. It's just, like, such a... <laughs> it's just, like, really, really... Like, are you serious? The, there's a, um... There's a really good biography on Smith. It's called, uh... There's a light that never... No, it's called A Light That Never Goes Out. Uh-huh. Um... And it's a... You know, they were talking about, sort of, that era of, like, the last Smiths album, and how it was just, like, it felt like... I think they were just, like, burnt out, in mm-hmm. a way. Yo, I mean, they they put out four albums in four years, so that you know that yeah. doesn't surprise me at all. Well, yeah, and then two compilations. Yeah, <laughs> just, it's like yeah, like, no Absolutely. shit. Um, that, that, that's I mean, that's such a crazy four year run. You think, or, uh, you know, how much they? Well, Beatles like, did something we, very similar in the sixties. Yeah, 
It's just, uh, it's crazy how you can just have so much. And it's interesting because I wonder how that would have been. Because to me, I don't really like when artists release, you know, an album year after year after year. I like having a little bit of time to marinate with art, you know, artists I really like. But obviously, yeah. we, you know, so many years removed, we don't have that problem at all. Like they're just they're just kind of all there, and we can listen to them at our leisure. But it'd be interesting. I, w- I wonder how people because there is clear progression. Yeah. Like you could definitely hear that you know they're they're progressing and then they, I think they peak, peak with the queen is dead and then oh yeah you could definitely hear them running on fumes on strange ways so that's really really cool yeah, yeah. um so what, what what do you got yeah so I also pulled something off the shelf this is an album that um I just for some reason over the last several weeks I just have wanted to listen to it and I just I, n- I never did never put it in the car just always forgot. But I did at the beginning of this week, and just it stayed in my car for since I listened to it, you know, multiple times through. And you know, I don't leave my house a lot; I still work from home right now. But whenever I did, just listen to it. And it's just it's it's a, crazy to me how quickly this became one of my favorite albums ever from when I first bought it, and how it really kickstarted my. It wasn't the first album I bought from them, but it was the first album from them. I was like, whoa, okay. And that is Tallahassee by the Mountain Goats. Okay. Um, I first bought the Sunset Tree from them, and I really enjoyed it. But it definitely hooked me into their music. But listening to Tallahassee, it's just—it's like to me, it's probably my favorite concept album. Uh, uh, personally, you know, I'm, I don't usually go to albums. You know, concept albums is not necessarily a selling point for me. It's not a detractor, but it's just not something I look for. But yeah. I just think, like his songwriting is so so great in this album. Every single song works as its own narrative. Um, you know, but when you piece it together over, you know, you listen to how the story evolves and how um, kind of the details start to come together. And the album is about, you know, a couple with a struggling marriage who moves to a plantation house in Tallahassee to try to save, you know, their relationship. Ultimately, they devolve into just depression, alcoholism, and just the way that he tells that story through very different um, scenes uncovering and just like the the recurring themes and just you really hearing how their relationship is falling apart and it's interesting because lauren we were listening to Salvetti. he's like is, is, you know if this is real because uh, i know some some of his lyrics are based on his real life but hmm. i don't know if this actually happened but what's crazy is that it doesn't matter at all it feels so real like a lot of the emotion he pours into this album it just feels like he's just recounting something that actually happened to him so i i actually i really don't know if if this is a true representation of something that he happened to him. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's married at all, honestly, but it just, it's such a great, great album. And I, it's easily one of my favorites of all time. Um, nice. So, yeah. I, I've actually never listened to a mountain goats album. So, um, <laughs> I don't, I think you would leave disappointed. So I'm not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I have just, a feeling too. Yeah. Uh, all respect for John Darnielle and company, but yeah. yeah. It'd be like, like if someone was like, "You really need to listen to this power metal album." It's like I think that's I've definitely I've 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 become more open to the, the genre over time, but I don't think I would leave it being like super. Like I definitely yeah, there's a difference between yeah, I appreciate you, this you, now and Scott. I, you mean you're not going to listen to the new Rhapsody of Fire album? No, no. That's Fuck you, okay. Scott. That's okay. I am actually genuinely I'm interested in listening to the new Deep Purple album. I'm I'm going to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> I just, I want to know why it's, like, they're all, like, grandparents at this point, and they named their album Whoosh. 
Not only did they name it Whoosh, they named it Whoosh with an exclamation point, like in the actual title. It's not as dumb as that, um, what's that band, uh, Chick, 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 just like the exclamation points. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Some dumb band names. That, that'll that be our next episode. <laughs> just just, just us, like, absolutely tearing bands apart. I like that. That's gonna be fun. Oh, no, we, <laughs> I, I don't have the heart for that. <laughs> I know. It's just, it, it's hard. Like, uh, I haven't written a truly, um... I haven't written like a really negative review in a while. The last negative review I wrote was uh, for the last Decapitated album, I think. I think it was because I just I, I think that they just totally lost it after that tragic accident with their um, with their drummer who passed away. Mm-hmm. I just think that they just became they went from like a re- like a, such an amazing like innovative tech death band to like a really like boring bad groove metal band. So I, I remember that's the last one where I was like, I actually want to get my negative thoughts out. But usually I'm like, what's what's the point? Like why? Yeah. Like I want to write about stuff that like I want to highly recommend stuff to people. That's that's exactly kind of what I write reviews exactly. for. So, um, all right. Well, that's been this episode. We've gone way over yet again. You know what? What's what's even the definition of over for us anymore? Because this is. Uh, just, I, <laughs> I, I consider if it's over an hour, it's over in yeah. my book. But um, you know, I, I I guess our book is getting bigger. So ah, there you go. All right. (laughs) See you next week. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, if you're interested, uh, you know, if you want to hear more, just, you know, listen to us on... uh, iTunes pod, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast. Basically, uh, we are on all of it. Uh, if you follow us on Anchor, too, you know, whatever works for you. And uh, definitely be sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you ever have any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about, or questions, anything like that, uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Sayshara Podcast on Twitter, and our email I think is Sayshara Podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.